You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Straight Up Texas podcast presented by our friends at Whataburger. I'm the digital and in-game host for the Rangers, Hannah Wing, and I am so excited to be back for another episode, which I think is our second to last of the 2022 season, with my fellow USC Trojan, partner in crime, and co-host, Jared Sandler. And it's awesome being with you. It's great because USC, as we are talking right now, still undefeated, uh, and I'm really pumped to bring people our conversation with John Blake. I think, you know, maybe over the years people have heard his name, and then with Twitter, You've got Ranger, Ranger Blake. Blake. You yep. gotta love it. And we asked him about it. Yes, we did. But I think this year people more than in years past have gotten a, a healthy serving of John Blake information and stories and nuggets and maybe have gathered a better understanding of who he is and, and what he is and what he's meant uh, to the Rangers organization. And you know, we try and uh, bring some of those stories out. It, it would take days for us to get a, a catalog of stories from his four-plus decades uh, around Major League Baseball. But, you know, I, I think we try to hit on some things, including, I guess, if you're listening to this the day that this is getting released, which is September 21st, 51 years ago to the day, which was a, a really significant date in franchise history, 9-21, September 21st, doesn't get talked about a ton, but it was on this date that the, the Rangers were officially going to be moving uh, to the, the Metroplex. They were going to go from the Washington Centers to, the, to become the Texas Rangers, uh, and that's what set up 1972, the, the first year of Rangers baseball, but it was September 21st, 1971, in which that all happened. And I thought it was really neat hearing John share some of his perspective uh, of, of that date and what it all entails and everything that went into it, especially as someone who wasn't a part of the organization then. Uh, but, but he still remembered it, which a, is so cool. A historian who's had to spend ample time speaking to people about it and uh, being able to kind of put it all uh, in a frame. And also a quick note for all of our listeners, this episode pairs great with the episode that Jared did with Parker Vandergriff. So if you're interested in learning more about Rangers history and how the team came to be, check out that episode as well. And I think what's really cool, and, and you hear stories in that conversation, you're kind of like a podcast sommelier. You're like, you know, it pairs well with this and that. I mean, history uh, wasn't my best subject, but I think all this is very interesting. <laughs> yeah. but I, Hannah, I think what's what's really neat, and not to, to spoil anything, I want people to you know, listen to our conversation with John, but this was not your simple, hey, I own this team and I want to relocate and the DFW Metroplex seems like a great spot. And and maybe maybe franchise moves are never that simple, but I also don't believe they are as unique, uh, somewhat sitcom-y in a way. Uh, and, and you'll hear John kind of explain some of the details and uh, again, that that Parker episode will really elaborate on some of the stories, but uh, that that to me is you know what is so fascinating. I I grew up not really ever thinking about how my favorite team came. It's to a great be. point. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people don't understand what goes into creating a franchise or moving a franchise, and it's really fun and inspiring just to hear about the story of how the Rangers became the Texas Rangers and everything that went into that. So that's our, our conversation with John. It's about that and, again, stories, players, he's Adrian Beltre. And he's a Hall of Famer now. I mean, he is a really big deal. He always has been, but even so now more than ever. You know, what's, what's different is that in the past, last year if we would have done this, we would have just emailed John and been like, hey, John, can you jump on the podcast? Now we had to speak to his people. He has a whole team behind him Yeah, now. and when you're a Hall of Famer, you've got <laughs> – He's a big deal. Yeah, you had to speak to his people, and then his people had to get clearance, and then we had to sign paperwork. Lots of NDAs. We had to sign, just yeah, we kidding. signed lots of NDAs, and uh, then we got John to uh, to join. No, I'm just kidding. He uh, he's the best. Yeah, it was great talking to him, and you know, we we like to in a punny way mention our jersey contest, and we always say that you know maybe the jersey you should consider is our favorite segue. Yeah, <laughs> is you know whoever our guest is, but uh, I don't know. I mean, would you get a John Blake jersey? Would you get a I think I would do Ranger Blake 72. 72? In honor of the 50th anniversary yeah. season, which is what all of this is about anyways. I mean, if you are really, if like, 
Just fully commit to it. I, or I 50. Would, you could I'll do you Ranger what. Blake 50 would be fun too. I, I'll tell you what. If someone is listening to this and they can prove that they have purchased a customized Rangers jersey with Ranger Blake on the oh, back. Oh my gosh. With I love either, where this is going. Then... Oh, I don't know if I don't know where this is going. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. Let's think. What can we'll I do? We'll do something really awesome. I will get I will get your favorite broadcaster, whether that's Eric Nadell or Matt Hicks or Dave Raymond or even John himself. I mean, he's not technically John, a broadcaster. Yeah, yeah. He was a broadcaster at one point, so you never know. To to sign a ball and I will Love I will get a okay. ball for you and I will get I'll throw in a pair of tickets. Let's go crazy. Okay, yeah. Sign um, baseball and a pair of tickets to a game in 2023. Perfect. If if someone actually can show proof of getting a Ranger Blake jersey. Yes, but make sure you post it and tag both Jared and myself yes. and the Rangers so we can all see it. And and you've also got to follow through with the the impetus of the contest, which is you know I want you to would love for you to review the podcast. If you're listening yes. and you're going to follow through with this, chances are you. I, mean, I think you probably enjoy Fully committed. Yeah, uh, but if you could leave a review, uh, a comment, uh, we would certainly appreciate it, and we will we will take care of you. That would be pretty cool. If I think it would be too. Yeah. Uh, all right, Hannah, we do have a player contribution, though, to this episode. Or you could do a Jonah Heim you custom jersey as well. Jonah Heim, uh, who, can I give you a quick, we're going to do the Hannah Wing fun fact with Jonah Heim. Can I give you a quick Jonah Heim fun fact? Would love it, yeah. The baseball side. Let's do it. So Jonah is with the Rangers now. It's his fourth organization. He had previously been a part of the Rays, the Orioles, and the Athletics. Not all at the Major League level. The, he made his Major League debut here here being Globe Life Field with the A's back in 2020. But he has now hit a home run against all three of those teams this wow. year. Wow. Yep. So just wanted to share. He's got two against Tampa. Uh, I think he's got two against Oakland and one against uh, the Baltimore Orioles. But how about that? That is a fun fact. And Nathaniel Lowe also just hit one against his former franchise as yeah. well. Tampa Rays, very good. Love it. All right, what's your fun fact? So about? I asked Jonah. I came in real hot. I said, Jonah, what is a non-baseball fun fact about you? And he said, well, I'm kind of boring. And I said, well, that's not a fun fact. Like, I need something to work off of here. And he's like, okay, well, I know that I'm boring. And he's really trying to dig deep and find something meaningful. And I'm just kind of throwing some stuff out there. And I go, okay, well, what's your favorite food? Just trying to start something. And he likes pepperoni pizza. So Jonah Heim, big pepperoni pizza guy. I asked him his favorite pizza spot. Didn't really have one. Didn't really seem to care where the pizza was from. Just big pepperoni pizza guy. What is your ideal pizza topping oh that's tough so i like gluten-free crust obviously i have celiac yep. so anywhere that has a good gluten-free crust has taken all my money these days um i'm a big Kane rosso fan so i love their truff daddy pizza okay what all about right. you i i do really well if you know any meats uh, like a meat lovers yeah i can i can do that and like you can add or subtract like you don't have to throw all the meats yep. on there at once although if you do i'm not gonna not like it uh i don't do well it's more for me like what i don't like i don't like olives on my pizza or anywhere. Uh, I, I like onions. I don't really like onions on a pizza. I have a hard-hitting question. This might be the hardest question I've asked pineapple. you all season. Yeah, does pineapple belong on pizza? I had a stretch where I would rock the Hawaiian, you know, the pineapple chicken, maybe the pineapple and Canadian bacon. Uh, I If it was there, I would eat it and I would enjoy it, but I don't know that I'm in a place in my life where I'm ordering it. But I don't. I don't dislike it. But it's just I don't not something you would go out of your way to order. Yeah, like yeah, it's not, not on the same page as you know, that. like if you've got if you go to like a slider bar, right, and you can you're you're not sure what like burger you want, but you can order like three or four sliders and you can now satisfy all the buckets. Like, all right, if I could if I was getting pizza by the slice, maybe maybe I'd grab one, yeah. But like if I'm ordering a whole pie, and you know, the thing is too, like sometimes the the sauce is a little different, so they mm -hmm. won't split. Mm-hmm you know, the Hawaiian style with the, you know, more traditional style because it's different sauce, so they can't do a different base. Uh, so, yeah, it's not it's not something I'm ordering. But I don't I'm, – I'm not going to shame anyone for ordering it. Just, like, I don't We're think anyone should shame me for liking ketchup on a hot dog yep. because I don't understand to this day why that is not something that is deemed permissible. So, there you go. You uh, learn something new every day. Yeah. Now, should we ask – I think Josh we have Smith. a lot of really fun questions. Maybe not about pizza, but yeah. we have some really fun questions for Josh Smith. All right, so let's get to know Josh Smith, uh, Rangers infielder, outfielder as well. They acquired him in the Joey Gallo deal at the deadline last year. Uh, if you don't know Josh, 
than maybe like my wife. You very well know his wife, Claire, who uh, is incredibly active on social media. But uh, here is our rapid fire with Josh Smith. Favorite dessert? Ooh, something with peanut butter in it. Probably like some peanut butter chocolate dessert, peanut butter cheesecake, something like that. Unconventional pizza topping that you like? I mean, the original answer is pineapple, but I don't really care for pineapple on there. Um, Man, I don't know. I just like a cheese, just regular cheese pizza. Nothing on there. Speaking of food, best meal in Dallas? Oh, the Prince Lebanese place I had. The place is unbelievable. Like, um, I, I don't know. I got everything on their menu. That place is really good. Would you rather be a shark or a lion? A lion. Uh... I hate the water, hate like the the ocean kind of scares me. I hate sharks. So uh I'm going to I'm going to go with the land guy. Do you have any superstitions? No. I mean, I guess I send Claire a little text before each game, but that's about it. Not really superstition, it's kind of routine. Okay, no kids yet, but when you have kids, teammate you would most likely allow to babysit your kids. Charlie Culberson for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure every guy in here would say that. Uh, he's just he's the best. Favorite concert that you've ever been to? Mm. When I was young, we used to go to like the Bayou Country Superfest. It was like a bunch of country singers, so I'd, I'd say them. But I went to uh, I went to Brooks and Dunn this past year. They were pretty good. Okay, you and Claire are going on a date. Teammate you would most trust cooking you guys a really good meal? Mm, I want to say Bubba Thompson. He's kind of got that country uh, soul food in him a little bit. Uh, the southern background, so I'm going to go with Bubba. Least favorite holiday? Least favorite holiday. Uh, I don't really care for like spring break just because growing up we're always playing over spring break, so I never really got one of those. All right, one more teammate question for you. You got bar trivia. Teammate, who would be the best bar trivia partner? Oh, Brad Miller, no doubt. Yeah, <laughs> Brad, uh, he knows everything. Definitely going, Brad. I could see that. Favorite road city to have an off day? Sa- uh, Tampa was pretty fun. Uh, we St. Pete, if you can't tell, I'm a little burnt right now. I got peeling a little bit so I'd definitely say St. Pete uh or going to Tampa Bay was pretty fun all right video game you were best at growing up I wasn't huge on video games but I did I mean I played a lot of MLB the show I guess and oh Madden me and my roommate played Madden in college a little bit so I'd say Madden where do you go shopping for clothes obviously non-baseball clothes uh Club Monaco has been like one of my favorites recently say them um Ted Baker is another one I like them but honestly I I don't do too much shopping, so I kind of I, I wear the same stuff a lot. So just do that, I guess. Have you ever had a non-baseball job? And if so, what was your first non-baseball job? Uh, not like an official job, I guess, but like me and my buddy, we used to go pick up trash and stuff. Like after hurricanes, we'd go help people out, pick up their yards. So really just, just been baseball my whole life. It's very nice. Uh, speaking of jobs, what was your dream job as a kid? Uh, this, like doing exactly what I'm doing right now, so playing here. What is something that your wife can beat you at, like a card game, a board game? Is there something she just she has your number? Yeah, we actually just started playing cards. Uh, so I taught her how to play casino, which is a card game we play here, and she's uh, she actually beat me the other day, so she's getting good at it. But she can really cook. Um, yeah, she can. She I think she cooks a little bit better than me. What is the most random object you've ever been asked to sign? Man. I don't know if I've had any. I, I mean, I've definitely signed a kid or like a kid before. Just like a body part. Yeah, at, at LSU, I signed a kid, I guess. So I'm gonna go with the baby. All right. Uh, how long time-wise do you spend on your hair if you're going out? And I'll add on to that. Any favorite hair products that you use or like regimens? So honestly, I really don't spend a lot of time on it. I really just I get out of the shower. Uh, either just throw a hat on and let it dry or just push it back and let it dry. Honestly, that's about it. But since I got to the big leagues, I've kind of got some uh, information from a few other guys and they use some products. So I got on some Kevin Murphy products and they're good, but it, it kind of dries my hair out. So I really just, I'm going nothing now, just letting it air dry. All right. And then last one for me, place you'd like to travel to outside of America? Probably Spain, I guess. Just something different i know claire would like to so definitely have to do that good answer happy wife happy life i guess last one josh what's your favorite movie of all time uh primal fear for sure yeah that's uh that's one of my favorites 
Gotta love Josh Smith. He always has some great answers. I remember earlier on this podcast season, his fun fact was that he was really good at limbo. So I know earlier this year we've talked about his limbo abilities, his great hair, and now we learn some more about him as well. Love love getting a chance to chat with him. If your wife is as big on social media as his wife is and he doesn't deliver in that sort of a setting, then we just go tell her, like, I mean, not really helping the brand. Yeah, so it's all about branding these days. Yeah. Uh, but it was great chatting with Josh, and we look forward to talking more with Josh over the years. Uh, but next, we've got to bring you our conversation with Rangers' longtime executive vice president of communications, now technically executive vice president of public affairs, Rangers Hall of Famer, class of 2022, John Blake. That conversation after this word from our sponsors. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based channel championship team. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. They call it the all-new Whataburger Peppercorn Ranch Chicken Club. But with grilled or crispy water chicken, fresh lettuce and tomato, crispy bacon, Monterey Jack cheese, and creamy peppercorn ranch, all on the Texas toast. I call it delicious. Available for a limited time at participating locations. All right, really excited to chat with one of the newest members of the Texas Rangers Hall of Fame, uh, longtime vice president of communications, now uh, vice president of public affairs. Uh, He's been in professional baseball for uh, four decades plus uh, with the Rangers for most of that, and that is uh, John Blake. John, thanks so much for being with us here on the Straight Up Texas podcast presented by Whataburger. It's good to be with you guys. All right, so... This is coming out on September 21st. We are having this conversation a little bit before that, but September 21st is a date that Rangers fans maybe might not know is significant, but uh, 51 years ago, this coming September 21st, uh, a pretty significant date in Rangers history. What can you share with us about that and some of the things that stand out about the sequence of events that led to that? Well, it obviously, I mean, it was the day the franchise really... Texas Rangers part of the franchise really started and it, and it culminated, you know, a, a long and arduous saga for, for, for Arlington Mayor Tom Vandergriff, who basically made it his dream to bring a Major League Baseball team to Arlington, Texas, which at the time was not a big city of 450,000 like it is today. It was a and Mayor Vandergriff had a vision for this for this city, and uh, and I've said it many times. You know, baseball is what connected Dallas and Fort Worth before the international airport was built. Uh, Mayor Vandergriff was able to get consensus between the powers that be in in the two markets. First, to build a minor league stadium here, Turnpike Stadium, which opened in 1965, and to combine basically two minor league teams and bring them to, to this, to call them the Dallas-Fort Worth Spurs. But as, the whole time he was doing this, he was trying to bring Major League Baseball to this area. And it was a 
Every time a franchise seemed to be in trouble, it was up for sale or the third league, Branch Rickey's Continental League, you know, Mayor Vandergriff was was out there pushing for the Rangers and everything kind of came together uh, with the Washington Senators um, who were in financial trouble, who had had one winning season in 11 years in the nation's capital. Uh, everything kind of came together, but, but the amazing thing is you know, baseball had been in Washington since the 1880s or whatever and had been in the American League since, since 1901 with two separate franchises and not a lot of success uh, over the years. Hadn't won a World Series since 1924. Um, but over the objection of the President of the United States, Richard Nixon, who and the Commissioner of Baseball, Bowie Kuhn, uh, Tom Vandergriff con convinced... Bob Short to, to move uh, the franchise to Arlington and then convinced 10 out of 12 American League owners to vote for the franchise shift. Uh, other than Baltimore and, and Chicago and the White Sox, he got the other 10 votes and they didn't come without challenges. You know, Charlie Finley at one point wanted him to trade Jeff Burroughs for the, for the vote, and, <laughs> but, but uh, he voted for it anyway. And then Gene Autry was in the hospital the owner of the Angels, and they, they had to get his proxy and because they needed 10 votes. And uh, American League President Joe Cronin made the announcement in Boston at a meeting, and the Rangers were on their way to Texas. It, it, it's, it's an amazing story. It really is. And there's a great picture of, of Mayor Vandergriff the next morning when he got back to, to at that point, it was Meacham, you know, Meacham Field in Fort Worth. There was no DFW airport for another five or six years holding up the star telegram about uh, about the victory and everything. And that's how it all started. All right. So you are now, I guess, executive vice president of public affairs, but for a long time, executive vice president of communications. Back then, you were none of that. You were a student, right? You were still in school? I was school? still in high school. Oh, I wow. Not, not yeah. quite that old. No, no, but, but, but it's kind of funny because... No, two years later, I went to college in Washington, right. D.C., and, um, you know, I was a freshman at Georgetown in the fall of 1973, and Senator's only been gone two years, and there was still a lot of bitterness, you know, in the nation's capital, and there were a lot of people that did not want to go to Baltimore <laughs> to, watch, to watch baseball, and... Uh, uh, it was good for the Orioles. I mean, it really kind of expanded their territory. When I worked there, you know, we had a very big territory because there was no uh, Major League Baseball in Washington again until 2005. So, uh, but it was still, it was kind of weird because, you know, a city of that size that had baseball for so long. And, you know, as a baseball fan, I used to have to make that trek, you know, up, uh, up the Baltimore-Washington Parkway to go to Memorial okay. Stadium. Do you you have an amazing recollection of details and events, whether it's five years ago or, you know, when you were in college and whatnot. I'm just curious, as a, as a baseball fan in high school, as a sports fan in high school, and you were up in the Northeast, without any real dog in the fight, what, do you remember anything about, oh, baseball coming to Texas? Like, just you personally, was it like a big deal or was it not a big deal to the, the baseball fan around the country? <laughs> I don't think it was that big a deal, quite frankly. Uh, you know, the Senators were a doormat. Uh, the Red Sox had started to have their kind of resurgence, you know, in the late 1960s. The impossible dream of 1967 when they went from ninth to, to winning the American League pennant and lost to the Cardinals in seven games in the World Series. That kind of reinvigorated baseball in Boston. But, but we And the Senators were actually pretty good that year, 1967. They, they finished sixth, and uh, they made a, a little bit of a run. Uh, it was a really close race, came down to the last day of the season. But, you know... Going from the Washington's, it was a little strange because, you know, I mean, the centers have been in the East, and then they changed the divisions around. Well, there were no divisions at that point, but in 1969, you know, the division, you know, the whole kind of geographical landscape changed to some, to some extent. Um, but I don't. Rem I remember Frank Howard. We I saw the Senators play a number of times at Fenway Park with with Frank Howard, who was really their calling card at the time. 
Um, but that's what I actually had a senator's pennant on my wall. I mean, <laughs> oh, I had wow. all the American League. Some foreshadowing. I had all the American League yeah. pennants on my wall when I was a, when I was a kid, and uh, so I actually had a senator's pennant. I wish I still had it, but I don't. John, I want to go back to what you mentioned earlier, kind of about the animosity between Dallas and Fort Worth. How did bringing the Rangers to Arlington impact bringing those two cities together? Well, I, I think, uh, at least from a sporting fr- uh, perspective, it, it, it helped a lot. And, um, you know, you hear the old story about, you know, Eamon Carter, would, ne- would if he went to Dallas, would bring his lunch because he didn't want to, you know, he wouldn't pay the, the restaurants in Dallas to eat there. But, but Tom, uh, and, and I'll give a lot of credit on this to Mayor Vandergriff and some of the other um, some of the other politicians in Arlington. Mayor Vandergriff had a really good way of consensus. And, you know, I was lucky enough to know him. He had a lot to do with, with building the, new, the ballpark in Arlington in the early 1990s. He was a big part of that. At the time, he was judge, Tarrant County judge. And he just had a way of being able to, to bring Mayor Stovall and Mayor, and then Eamon Carter and the group from Fort Worth. And it just goes to show that sports can be a very unifying concept. And, you know, the airport at that point had started to be talked about. I mean, you know, they needed a huge, a regional international airport here. But it is, it is amazing to me that, you know, they didn't break ground on that airport until 1970 maybe. And, you know, Turnpike Stadium had been around for five years. So it really did have a way of, of, of bringing everything together, Arlington. And again, I mean, I don't think, and even when I got here to Arlington in 1984, um, there wasn't a lot. I mean, it was obviously bigger and you had Arlington stadium and you had six flags and you had a, a few things like that, you know, general motors, but, but just the growth in Arlington, even in the last 30 years, in the last 10 years, it, it's astounding. You know, it's four hundred fifty thousand people now. It's a big city, and uh, and you have to, and you really have to kind of credit all of that that happened in the '60s and early '70s. I want to. We we could be here for hours uh, with all the stories you have. I, I want to kind of either go to significant figures in Rangers history, or, or maybe periods of time. And I don't know why, but the first one I want to ask you about is Adrian Beltre, uh, because he is a really significant part of Rangers history uh, and was a part of, you know, one outstanding team in, in 2011, but some other really good teams beyond that, 3,000 hits. Uh, but I feel like fans only got to know him to a certain point. Uh, you were around him a ton, and I know have a, a relationship with him. What are I don't know if there's an Adrian Beltre story or just things that jump out to you about your experiences with with Adrian Beltre. Well, when we signed Adrian Beltre, you know it was a it was a big deal, but you got to remember we were losing Cliff Lee, and that was kind of the bigger story after the 2010 season that we didn't you know resign Cliff Lee, and and Adrian had had signed with the Red Sox on a one year deal coming off a you know. A, period in Seattle where he didn't produce the offensive numbers and it was a significant signing but it wasn't it certainly wasn't ballyhooed at it the was time criticized, right? right well wow. to, to some extent yeah. yes and and you know 2011 he you know at the time it was Josh Hamilton it was Michael Young it was you know Mike Napoli and Adrian just kind of fit in there at the beginning you know, as time went on and the, that nucleus of players that, that that went to two straight World Series kind of went away, and Adrian kind of became, you know, the focal point of the ball club. And, you know, really his clubhouse presence was, was as much as, to me, as his play on the field. Now, you know, he was a good off, great offensive player, great defensive player, but he had a real presence to, to be able to carry a team on his back and, and it, and it translated over into the clubhouse. And, you know, we won in 2015 and 2016 a lot because of Adrian, uh, you know, over that period of time, you know, everything kind of changed when we, when Ron Washington left in 2014 and then everything just kind of moved on. And Adrian was the one that carried that. 
And then the last couple of years, he became that kind of senior statesman. And, and, and like a lot of things, he was, he was putting numbers up. You know, his career numbers were getting to a point where, okay, this guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And in some ways, you can compare that to Nolan. I mean, you know, Nolan came here in 1989. He was a Hall of Famer. But he wasn't that kind of legend, and the numbers piled up. And the same with Adrian. I mean, when Adrian came here, certainly there was no there – was, he certainly was not a first ballot Hall of Famer uh, in the spring of 2011, but – just the way he performed. I mean, he won four Player of the Year awards here. He was our best player for a long time. But but to me, it was more like the way he kind of carried the weight. You know, he, he just kind of put it on his back. And it's hard to find guys that can do that. I, I want to ask you about, like, one of my biggest Adrian memories, and I don't remember if it was 15 or 16. I think it was 15 because – the Rangers, we beat the Red Sox on May 31st. It was a walk-off double from Josh Hamilton. He got hurt uh, going to second, I think, on the double. But earlier in the game, I think Adrian Beltre got hurt. And it's what led to Joey Gallo getting called up two days later. But I remember that was one of the longest post games we've ever had because it was a dramatic win at the end of what was a great month after a rough April. You had Josh Hamilton returning to the Rangers, a walk-off hit, and then the buzz that, well, Joey Gallo's coming up. But Adrian, I think, was supposed to miss six weeks. I think the, the, th- the thumb injury. I think it was like a minimum of six weeks. And I remember about three weeks in, we don't have the lineup for a home game. It was like 4.30, 5. I want to say like 5.15, 5.30. And then, and I don't know if it was you or Rich Rice, but someone announces in the press box PA that Adrian Beltrade's been activated off, at the time, the disabled list. And he ended up doubling, I think, in his first or second at bat. But it was, to me, I, I think about that because he was so great playing through pain. But that's an injury that he cut that in half and was able to produce. And I, but you're, you're, you're behind the scenes in a way that we aren't. I, do you have memories of that? Yeah, and like just I mean, and that was, you, couldn't, you could not keep Adrian Beltre off the field. I mean, I have never seen a guy who worked as hard to come back from an injury, uh, you know, and you can, there's that one later that year, you know, when he, when he got hurt with his back in game two of the uh, division series in Toronto. Um, and he was back in the lineup by the end of that series when no, no mortal should have been able to be able to play again in that series. He was amazing that way. He really was. And, and you couldn't stop him. I mean, the trainers and, and whatever, it was if he wanted to play, he was going to be back. And that's the first Bell Hall of Famer. But they don't come around that much. And we were, we, were, we, were, we were honored to be able to watch him here for seven, eight years. Our listeners love hearing more about, you know, the behind-the-scenes aspect of the Rangers. How would you describe working with Beltre and who he was off the field? Well, like I said, you know, he was, um, you know, and in the beginning he – you know, he was a little bit reticent with media and everything. But, but as, as time went on, you know, for me, it's always about being able to go to a guy in a tough situation, whatever, and say, hey, look, you know, tonight we kind of need you post-game to be by your locker to kind of to, to, to put it on your shoulders. And, and Adrian was, you know, I mean, I, did I have to push a little bit at times? Yes. But, I mean, I, I think Adrian was always very cognizant of that. Um, the way he went past his – the way he went his last two years, which, you know, was tougher. We were not playing well. Um, there was all the speculation in 2018, and he handled it with a ton of grace. The last road trip when we were again, we had an interim manager in, in Don Wakamatsu. And, and then just, you know, him calling me in, in – uh, early November, you know, he called me one night and said, look, you know, I'm going to retire. I'm going to send you this letter and, 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 and just everything like that. He, he, and I've dealt with a lot of players. I mean, you know, over Do you know the exactly years, how many? Uh, you said in your Hall of Fame speech. Well, the Rangers have had 1,057. Wow. You know, and, and then when you add, I mean, it, it's, you know, with, but, but 1,500, 1,600 players, I don't know, I mean, something like that. 
and he is certainly in, in the top four or five just in the way he was. You know, when you're a PR guy, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for guys that are stand-up people. And will, we'll, you, know, you, you, you know, you don't ask them all the time, but when you ask them to do something, they know they need to do it. And then that's, that was what was always really impressive to me. All right, uh, the World Series years, uh, I, I, open floor. What like when you think back on that? I, I'm sure you've done a lot of reflecting this year, especially with all the Hall of Fame stuff. What stands out to you that maybe doesn't get talked about a lot, or, or regardless of whether it gets talked about, what what are some of your memories of, of those years? Well, I mean, to me, it was all for the was the fan base here. I mean, I. Look, I was lucky. I worked for the Orioles. We went to two World Series. I spent three years in Boston. We won the World Series in 2007. So, I mean, for me, coming back here, you know, it was more, you know, it was more about just wanting to be a part of this again. But, but this had been such a long-suffering fan base. And I, and I felt the same way in 1996. We finally won, and people were crying on that night, you know, m- midnight when we finally clinched on September 27th, 1996. And I felt the same way when we, well, we came back, we got to the playoffs again for the first time. But then when we won that first playoff series in in Tampa in five games with Cliff Lee, that was really the first one because, again, you got, I mean, you have a long, that was the first playoff series this franchise had ever won. And you can take that back to 1961. So that was a huge deal. But it was on the road. And so when, when we beat the Yankees in game six in 2010, it was just an amazing feeling. Now, for, again, I'm in the moment on this. And, it, and it's, I think it's hard for people to realize sometimes on clinches and everything in my career, I am focused solely on what is happening next. The game ends... I got to do this, 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 and this. I don't have time to really <laughs> put it all in perspective at the time because it's like, okay, we got to set up a stage. We got to get this guy here. We got to keep them. So, I mean, I, I, I look at it from a different perspective, but I was so happy for the fans. And there were people that were crying. I mean, neighbors of mine and, you know, people that had followed this franchise forever. And those to me are the, are the you know, 11 was, was a little bittersweet, obviously, at the end. A lot bittersweet, I guess. But, but 10 had such a really good feeling, even though we got, you know, basically we, we got wiped out by the Giants. But it was, that was the feeling. And, and that team was very close. And, you know, I, 11, same, 11 was, you know, 11 we were best team in the league. We basically steamrolled the American League and basically steamrolled through the play through the playoffs to the World Series and we, we should have won it. But again, and again and again I tell people I never saw Nelson Cruz miss that. I was behind the dugout in the tunnel with, you know, seven guys with hats and shirts and all this other stuff. And that ball goes up and I look around. I'm the only one left in this tunnel, you know, you know, after that all happened. Um, but for me it was about what it did to this area and you know, we were more popular than the Cowboys, and I know it. You know, people—it's hard to see that now, but but at that point, just the atmosphere here. I remember the Cowboys in 2011; they played across the street on the same day as a World Series game here, and all the focus was on us, and it was really sweet. Yeah, I bet. I feel like we could have recorded your entire Hall of Fame luncheon Q&A with Emily just because there were so many amazing stories and just gold nuggets in there. But can you repeat the story about when your son Chris was born and the timing around it? Yeah, that was that was interesting. Um, so that was uh, August of 1989, and he was supposed to be born in September of 1989. And uh, he was born six weeks early. And, uh, and I've told people this, I, I, I apologized to him numerous times that I wasn't there for his birth. I was in Toronto, but it was the last road trip I was going to make 
uh, before he was. You thought you had the timing perfect. I, I thought I had perfect timing on it. So it was a. It was actually Canada Day. It was a holiday in Canada. It was a Monday, July first. Is that right? Is that no, Canada it was August. Day? It was. Oh, it was okay. one of one of those holidays. Yeah. It wasn't. It was wasn't. It was some holiday because we played a day game in Toronto on a Monday, and I went to a, Dan Shimmick who was a traveling secretary, and I went to the movies and we saw Parenthood with. Steve Martin, which was Ironic. very appropriate. <laughs> so at, at that point, there were no cell phones or anything like that. Um, so I got back to the hotel, message lights on, and it's from my neighbor. And she's, you know, she's on there and says, you know, we had to take your wife, Harriet, you know, Harriet to the hospital. And she's, she had to give him birth, you know, and everything. So, I mean, I was, and then I talked to the doctor. I, I got a hold of the doctor. He says, well, your son's probably going to live. And, and that's... That's kind of tough when you're in a hotel room in Toronto. His lungs weren't totally developed. Um, so I got back on a plane, came back, and he's 6'1". Now he's in the hospital for, for, for six weeks. So, but but the, the latter part of that is, you know, that was around the time that uh, Nolan Ryan was approaching 5,000 strikeouts. And Chris had been in the hospital uh, over at Presbyterian in Dallas for about two weeks. And the doctor told us, you know, he's... He's doing pretty well. He might be able to come home. And I, I told the doctor, well, you, you really, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, we really can't have this right now because, you know, Nolan's going for strikeout number 5,000 tomorrow. Was the doctor uh, understanding? I kind of looked at me a little funny at the time. <laughs> uh, but as it turned out, he wasn't ready to come home. And uh, so Nolan got his 5,000 strikeout on August 27th, August 22nd. And uh, Chris came home couple weeks later perfect timing so, perfect timing. can you share i know we we talked about on the pregame show and and you've shared this before but uh, people around the league uh, when they discuss your legacy and and what you've done a lot of people point to what the rangers did for nolan for five thousand strikeouts uh it's easy to do what you did maybe now or easier now with the internet uh, but you put together a list of all his strikeout victims. This is pre-internet, though. Can you share with us a, a where the idea came from? Sure, this is pre-computer. Pre-computer. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, how, if you could just reshare yeah, this whole story. Yeah, I mean, so we, you know, we kind of, you know, we were looking at this. And again, just to kind of step back a little bit, you know, Nolan Ryan was really the first player we had that, that garnered national attention. You know, big national attention, I mean. I mean, the Rangers had never had a player that iconic. And and a lot of it had to do with what he did in April when he got here. You know, he took no hitters into the ninth inning, and he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and we had the best month in club history. But we kind of played on that, and, and <clears throat> you know, no one had ever done anything like this. People had done a list of 500 home runs, you know. It's a little easier. But doing 5,000 strikeouts, at that time, 4,900 and whatever it was, strikeouts. So basically, we called the Mets, the Angels, the Astros, and we said, look, we would, can you send us the score sheets of all of Nolan's games dating back to 1966 with the, with the Mets? And so they were nice, and I paid them. I said, hey, look, I'll pay the copy fee. So they basically took their score books, you know, copied the sheets, sent us all this, and then... Larry Kelly, who was my assistant at the time, did a lot of the work on this and goes through every score sheet to, and kept a list, you know, found the strikeouts. And some of these score sheets were not in good shape. <laughs> it was a little tough. You know, teams at that point had a tendency not to do a lot if your team was out of contention. There were not a lot of records sometimes at the end of a season. Um, but we were able to get all that. And miraculously, it all added up. And we came up with some great nuggets. I mean, you know, that he'd struck out 1,177 guys, and Claudel Washington was the, and Claudel Washington got a lot of press for yeah. being the most strikeouts ever at 31, you know, Hall of Famers, Father and Sons, you know, all of that. And USA Today at the, ran the entire list, you know, a week before the strike. So it be, the hype just grew, and it was great for us. We had a ton of national media the night. He, he did it August 22nd. Uh, we, ABC did Monday Night Baseball here. I mean, a special, you know, national TV. But it was really the first thing that put us on the map. And 
And we capitalized on Nolan. I mean, Nolan, you know, I've told this many times, had a lot to do with building the ballpark in Arlington because of the success he had. I'm not sure if we hadn't ever signed Nolan, we would have gotten that ballpark built as easily as we did. And to all of our listeners, next time you're at a game, you can go down to the lower concourse on the first base side by the escalators and see the entire strikeout list, which is really cool. Right. Hank Aaron to Paul Zavella. That's crazy. Just curious, when you're – when you guys were going through that list, did you hit any snags? Like, was there ever like a yeah. quandary? You're like, shoot, I don't know. I'm well, yeah, I mean, there were a few. I mean, the Mets score sheets were very hard to uh, <laughs> were very hard to work through, and we had to go back and use some box scores and 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 try to. But you you could not find anything. It was, you know, you call the Elias Sports Bureau, and and but even they would have had to do the research on this. I mean, it was, uh, it was just a different era. I mean, in some ways it was more fun to, as a PR person because you came up with stuff. Now, you know, you come up with, I mean, it's just, it's just a different era. I mean, in terms of being able to come up with notes and everything. You can press a few buttons, type something in, and now you got like a list that tells you X, Y, and Z that you just couldn't come up right, with. Right, but, but you got to remember that that started, you know, there was the retro sheet project, yeah. and we had to send all our score sheets to this wow. gentleman who, and that's how the whole thing started back in the early 90s. We could go through, I mean, I, again, the list of players, eras, moments. Is there one, one that just, I, I'm going to, like, totally put this on the tee for you to take it wherever you'd like. Is there a player a moment that you look back on fondly that maybe doesn't get the attention that you think he or it should or wish he or it should, or did, I should say? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. Um, you know, there, there, there's been a lot here. I mean, and, and most of the things that, you know, I have done or, or been involved with, you know, are things that, that I'm proud of or things that we accomplished, you know, getting publicity or, or positive attention uh, for the club over so many different years. Um, one of the, you know, and again, this was a, a process, but and I still go back to this, the, the building of the ballpark in Arlington and all that went around that and everything we did to create excitement for that in an era where there was a lot of media coverage and we could be really creative and, you know, having, you know, the Today Show out there at the opener on April 11th, 1994, there is really nothing that compares to it in terms of pride for the, and, and you can take, for me, you can take everything on the field, but just the sense of accomplishment for the franchise. And that goes back and, and to Tom Schieffer and the vision and everything that he put into going to a, in the ballpark. Now, yeah, Orioles had built Camden Yards. We did have a, a small template, but it wasn't. Retro parks were still very, and everything we did there to capitalize on the state of Texas and and if you were, and if you had to kind of be here because you know comparing that to Arlington Stadium which was a converted minor league ballpark it had no facilities it was you know i am trying to be kind to the place i mean because i have a <laughs> lot of memories from there but it just you didn't feel major league having that as your stadium and when we played when we moved into the into the new stadium it, it was a game changer i mean in terms of just the respect and what I could do from a media standpoint. I mean, my press box at Arlington Stadium was 20-some seats. To get to the clubhouse, you had to go down through the stands, walk through the dugouts. You know, it was just, it was a nightmare. I mean, if we had gotten to postseason in any of those years, I don't know how we would have pulled it off. We came close a couple times, and I was thinking, yeah, we got to, maybe need a bungee cord to get media from the press box to the field. Where am I going to put an interview room? I you know, and just having a facility where we could all be so proud, um, that, that and, the, and the whole thing leading up to it, just, you know, the Hall of Fame suites, named for a Hall of Fame. It was so much fun to me going to Cooperstown and just a small, and just, you know, picking out pictures and things like that. That was an experience, you know, I will never forget. So you went, I guess, so for people who maybe aren't familiar or forget, the suite 
on the suite levels, it was it wasn't. I mean, maybe it was like two hundred six B, but it was always a, it was attached to Hall of Famers. Right, and were, dark, we, so you right, went we, to Cooperstown. Right, to, we, we picked out all the photos up there. We took cool. them. We we had them. You know, we had them. We had a, two artists that did those sepia tones, and uh, you know, it was just a fun experience. Okay, yeah. what what image of Cy Young are we going to use for the for the suites and everything? And you know, we didn't have enough. You know, again, we didn't have enough Ranger history at the time to be able to name suites for Rangers. So those were the kind of things that, and a lot of that, again, was Schieffer's, you know, vision and everything. And it it worked out great. Now, should it have been a roof? There's a lot of debate. I mean. was that How much was that discussed, though? Because if I recall, Sky Dome. Skydome had, had opened, and it was the cost it was, was prohibitive, right? right. Yeah. I mean, that whole stadium was built basically for 125 million dollars if you take out all the infrastructure and, and everything around it. And you know, again, we wouldn't have got it done yeah. if we had done that. So, but that to me is is still the era that uh, I'll never forget that. Well, now we have a roof and a shiny new press box. So, John, what is your favorite part of either the press box or your favorite spot here at Globe Life Field? Um, well, I don't sit in the press box anymore, and uh, it's, it's high. Um, you know, I, I just think, you know, the, the, this stadium for me is, is more, and I don't know if I could identify a favorite spot. I mean, I really enjoy walking around the concourses, and a lot of it is I think we did a really – good job of trying to incorporate the history uh, and it doesn't you know it doesn't feel like an you know it's not like it doesn't scream it like Fenway Park but if you're a Ranger fan and, and you you see the shadow boxes in the outfield and the timelines down on the lower concourse and the and the big images of the iconic players and the banners I mean you know this is this is the Rangers ballpark and it's a uh, you know it's an interesting you have to be be careful, you know, in the way we it was all put together because we host so many other events as well. You know, I sit now on the broadcast level, which if you talk to the broadcasters is also a little high, but, you know, the space and everything that we have to be able to accommodate these big events is second to none. And that had, was, had a lot to do with how this was built. Okay, you know, we want an all-star game at some point, or we want you know, this big non-baseball event, and we're going to need space to, to accommodate people. And, you know, we had to use it right off the bat in the, in the fall of 2020 when we hosted, you know, three rounds of the, of the postseason here as a neutral site. So, but, but I really enjoy walking the lower, I mean, lower con and being able to see the field. That was the one thing, the old ballpark, you didn't have, didn't really have that because, you know, the concessions were on the inside and everything. But, uh, and, and, and I've told people this too. I mean, I don't have the same, I didn't have the same feeling when we moved here that I did. Mm-hmm. We moved from Arlington Stadium to the other ballpark. But, but this park certainly, for what you need today for a fan experience, this place checks all the boxes. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then wrap things up with Rangers Hall of Famer, Executive Vice President, Public Affairs, uh, formerly Executive Vice President of Communications, John Blake, after this. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you're craving a bigger, better burger, you know where to go. What a burger. And if you go right now, you can treat yourself to the all-new Bacon Blue Cheeseburger. Two all-beef patties with crispy bacon, grilled onions, blue cheese crumbles, and peppercorn ranch. 
So what are you waiting for? Available for a limited time at participating locations. We are back with Rangers Hall of Famer John Blake. And John, we have a couple of signature questions that we ask all of our guests here on the Straight Up Texas podcast presented by Whataburger. So let's start off with our first question. Who is someone that you would view as a competitor that you worked with for a very long time or kind of were neck and neck with that you just would want to share and just kind of any memories or things that go along with that? Neck and neck, huh? Just someone that you viewed as a competitor but also really admired and looked up to. Well, I mean, that's, that's an interesting question. You know, I mean, I, mean, I guess the, the competitiveness in, in it with me being a baseball PR guy was more other clubs. You know, and there were certain PR people that I, uh, that I looked up to, but that I also, I mean, Tim Mead of the Angels was one that comes to, to example. Uh, Rick Vaughn was a longtime PR guy for the for Tampa Bay, and they, were do, and they would do things that I thought were pretty creative that would get their teams exposure and publicity. And I remember Rick, when he was with the Orioles, did something with uh, one of his players one year. It was, it was Cheeto Martinez. I don't know if you remember him. He was a candidate for Rookie of the Year, and Rick sent out these bags of Cheetos and everything. Very clever. Trying to, Get, get publicity and those kind of so th- those were the kind of guy people I was in the most competition with I think and just trying to um, you know you know what can we do to, to distinguish ourselves from other clubs piggybacking off of that players with the Rangers who forget what their stats were just you respected who they were as, as people and, and maybe teammates. And I know that that list is probably long, but is there any, like, one guy who stands out? Oh, again, it's, it's, it's hard just because, you know, there were so many of those guys. But, uh, you know, I mean, I go back to the 96 team for that, and we did a, a 1990s roundtable this year. Um, the, you know, there were guys on that team. You know, Mark McLemore is one. Uh, from that team, guys that really kind of galvanized that group. I, I had a lot of respect for him. Charlie Hoff is one of my all-time favorite Rangers. Um, he was, and again, people don't the the, the fact that that man lost more one nothing games. He lost more heartbreakers. He lost a perfect game one one nothing. He lost a no hitter in Cali in uh, California when the Angels, you know, on a two strike pass ball and a strikeout, you know, I just, but, and Charlie, you know, I, and again, different era, you know, uh, closer to age, Charlie used to give me a lot of grief, and in those days, the players gave, you know, it was, it was a different era, but Charlie's one of my all-time favorites, and I, I, I keep up with him, and I always respected what he did for a lousy team for most of the 1980s, so, I tend to go back into those eras for that because it was just a different player. Different I mean, you, yeah. you, you know, I mean, I'm old now. They don't give me grief anymore. I mean, it's like uh, it, it just changes as you get older. But, but you know, there were guys that gave me a lot of grief in those days. Will Clark was a big one. <laughs> Billy Ripken was a big one. But, but Charlie, you know, Charlie and Mac are, are probably two of the ones I would single out. It, it, that is hard, though. Yeah. Uh, all right, this is the Straight Up Texas podcast presented by Whataburger. What is John Blake's go-to Whataburger order? You're not going to – I mean, this is very simple. I would, it would just be a, a single cheeseburger with pickles and mustard. It's perfect. Big mustard guy. Yes, I eat mustard on fish. Uh, I eat mustard on a lot of things. Standard, like, yellow mustard? Uh, it's, no, I'm not, it's not yellow. It's got to be golden mustard. Okay. See, right. in, mm. in Boston, when you were growing up, You'd go to Fenway Park, and a Fenway Frank would always have Golden's mustard, which is the brown mustard. And I've always kind of maintained that over yellow mustard. Okay. Good to know. All right, I got, I got one fan question uh, that needs to be asked. Uh, this is coming uh, from John on Twitter, uh, and he wants to know how you came up with the name Ranger Blake. And, and was there a lot of thought put into that? That was no thought on my part. I mean, that goes back to, 
you know, 2012, I guess, when Twitter was, was just kind of getting going. And that goes back to Kaylin Eastep, who was doing the social media at the time. And she was, she was like, on my case that I needed this Twitter account. And I was, like, telling her, you're nuts. I mean, <laughs> I, I, don't need to, I don't need to be on Twitter. And she actually came up with the handle. Okay. Um, of Ranger but Blake. People call you Ranger Blake sometimes. Yes, they now. do now. It's like yeah. now a, a yep. moniker. Yeah, they do. And uh, It's a great follow. Yeah. You know, it became... Uh, and this year we've gone to a Rangers PR account finally, so I don't have to... Because last year, I mean, it got to the point where trying to do the lineup was getting... I was in Vail, Colorado for a wedding last July, and the team was in Toronto. I mean, I mean, no, we we're in Buffalo. Uh -huh. That's right, And I'm yeah. sitting on top of this mountain on a hike, you know, and I get the lineup, and everybody, I said, look, i got to stop for a minute, and sit down on a log, and I'm tweeting the lineup. I can just picture for this. It's game, amazing. For a game in Buffalo, New York. And uh, I said, uh, I can't do this anymore. So, I mean, we have a Ranger PR account now, but I'm still doing the color uniforms and off other stuff. And occasionally. Evan Grant shout-outs. Uh, right. Yeah. Evan Grant and his birthday cake. That was and, amazing. Uh, I saw that the other day. And things like that. And people still, and I thought my followers would probably start to recede, and they've actually gone up a little bit. <laughs> so maybe it wasn't the lineups after all. That's amazing. Any favorite tweets you've had over the years? Uh, mostly digs at Evan Grant, I think, have been uh, kind of my favorites. And those seem to get pretty good traction, too, for the most part. <laughs> Building the brand. Right. All right, I have two more fan questions for you, John. I know that you're hosting 50th anniversary tours before the game on September 23rd. Either what stop or what part of the tour are you the most excited to show our fans? Well, I start the tours at the, uh, at a, at the mural up on the fourth floor that Arthur James did. Uh, the mural that seemed to take eternity to get finished uh, in 2020. But uh, I, I really like that as a starting point because it, it just it encapsulates so many players from so many different eras. And I, and I usually will start there and just kind of talk about that as an overview of, of this franchise's history. So I start there, and then I end at what you already referred to as the, uh, you know, the Nolan Ryan strikeout wall. And, and those, two, those two things are, are, are you know, they're, they're a big part of the history. But, but that mural... You know, for how long it took to, to do and how many changes Arthur had to make certain scoreboards and things before it was final. Um, it really does, and I mentioned it in my Hall of Fame speech, I mean, because it, uh, it really does kind of, and, and those kind of things, if you're a fan you can, and you've been here a long time, you know, you look at every player on that, on that mural and, and you have a memory. I know that working for the Rangers and just being at the ballpark for so much of your life is a huge part of your identity, but the fans want to know what is something that people normally wouldn't know about you or what do you enjoy doing away from baseball? Well, I mean, some people do know this. I mean, I was a, I'm a docent at the George W. Bush Library and Museum in Dallas. I've done it ever since the museum opened in 2013. You know, I love presidential history. Um, I, from the time I was in second or third grade, I could name all the presidents in order. I actually used to, when I was a little kid, I actually used to do these little shows where I would name them <laughs> forwards and backwards for people and answer questions, the obscure questions like what their kids' names that were. That another podcast and, and episode. Things like that. Um, so, I mean, I've always liked presidential history, and that was going to be what I, you know, I, gonna, I majored in you know, went to School of Foreign Service, majored in international politics at Georgetown. And I also worked for President Bush. I mean, when he owned the Rangers back in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, he was my boss for a lot of the time. And there were times when, you know, he'd be visiting his father at the White House and I'd have to track him down and, you know, hey, Jim Reeves wants to talk to you. <laughs> you know, I'd have to go through the White House switchboard and everything. So that has been a really... Um, enjoyable and rewarding experience for me. I mean, the pandemic stunk in terms of that. We mm -hmm. were closed. We're back now, and, and I'm the team leader on Saturday afternoons. And anybody that wants to come over and get a tour or, or anything, uh, they can always find me there most Saturday afternoons. Although when we have home games, I have to leave early. Did you ever, last question, one on this, did you ever consider, was there ever an opportunity for you to transition from sports into something uh, in Capitol Hill in the same field? 
I remember, you know, going back and, you know, when President Bush ran at the time for governor in uh, the 1994, I remember thinking about it a little bit. I never pursued it because, frankly, we were in the middle of, you know, the new ballpark with the All-Star game coming up in 95 and, and everything like that. Um, and it's a tough transition, you know, to make. And I, but I've thought about it over the years, but but it's hard for me to give up, you know, what we've done. Yeah. And Bush was here over the weekend, too. That was pretty awesome. It was. It was really cool to see him. Uh, all right. Well, John, we appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, congratulations again on the Hall of Fame induction. Uh, I think a lot of people said this around that time, but uh, the impact you've had on this organization, which brings uh, so many people joy, is, is something that uh, is, is probably indescribable, and there are probably things that – uh, very few people even know about that, that you have not allowed to uh, get tied to you and, and your impact and the time spent. But we uh, were so excited that you got recognized uh, publicly this year, and we appreciate you joining us here on the Straight Up Texas podcast presented by Whataburger, which I know uh, is just the cherry on top to the Hall of Fame induction. Yes, it is. I mean, it was, it was very gratifying. My family I was very proud it was a little bit as i've told people a little awkward because these are the things i usually put together and they didn't tell me anything that was going on and it's i hate surprises but uh i really appreciate it it, it was a lot of fun and uh you know i appreciate you guys for everything so thank you for having me on all right well there you go that's texas rangers executive vice president of communications formerly currently a public affairs rangers hall of famer john blake uh, stay tuned. We got more episodes of the Straight Up Texas podcast presented by Whataburger coming your way.